Let's all stand together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we call upon Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Your only begotten Son and our Savior. We thank Thee for the safe hiding place that we have in Him from the storms of life and the storms of eternity that will assail the earth in the day of judgment. We shall be found established upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you will bless us as we open your word, that you will lead us in your perfect way toward the table of your Son, where we will remember his death till he comes for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Because of the time, I will be brief and consider two more of our Lord's attributes rather than five. The Lord Jehovah is initiating in that he begins and builds the relationship that he has with his children, with you and with me. There can be fear, and there should be a measure of fear, when we initiate a relationship or we initiate the words or actions at times in a relationship. For the legitimate thought that we might have is the other person is only responding to be kind and not to leave us out to dry. So when we initiate a relationship with another person, we wonder if they care about us and love us as much as we care about them and love them. Or, if a relationship is established like between a husband and a wife, if a husband makes a change in conduct, or a wife makes a change by saying something that she hasn't said before or hasn't said in a long time, if there's a response to it, in either one of those cases, there still is the question, I wonder if they really meant it or if they're just doing it because they don't want to make me feel bad or because they want to be kind, because they're gracious. I hope you understand the way that I'm trying to introduce this point of God initiating relationships with us. First John 4.19, you should know it. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. That's a wonderful thing. The Lord has initiated the relationship between himself and his people. He initiated it. It has already been mentioned here today in this pulpit, and for which I am very grateful, that one brother was arrested five and a half years ago. He didn't arrest God. God arrested him. God came and got him. Another brother in this pulpit said that while he had run and leaped, and the Lord had helped him get through a troop and over a wall, he didn't do anything to be accepted in the Beloved. In fact, he had done things to get out of the Beloved, to make sure that he had no right to the Beloved. And it's true of all of us. But God has initiated the relationship with us so that it's not like we have initiated the relationship with God. And that is where Arminianism ends up. 
They initiate the relationship because God loves them all equally. Christ died for them all equally and the Holy Spirit is wooing them or seeking to convict them all equally so that the real relationship is initiated by them. But we love Him because He first loved us. To an Arminian, they must end up with everyone loving God because God loves everyone in their scheme. But that's not what we understand at all. He initiated the relationship and this is wonderful to consider. He's initiated it. We haven't given to Him and then we wonder, is He just responding to us because He doesn't want us to feel bad? Because He's a kind God? No. He wants the relationship. He's looking, wondering if we're going to respond. Now He's going to help us respond. He's going to glorify us someday and we're going to spend eternity responding to Him. But let's respond before we get to eternity. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. That was the 19th verse that we just quoted a moment ago. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is real love. That is not love that is responding to us where we wonder how much of it is just because we've created this situation or scenario and they feel obligated to respond to us. No. He loved you when you hated Him. He loved you when you were an enemy. He loved you when you were without strength. Amen. So when you think about... This relational attribute of God, He has initiated the relationship so that we'll know that it is sincerely driven out of the heart of God to love us. It wasn't driven by anything in us. We did not obligate Him in any way. He chose to set His love upon us. He chose us before the world began to make us accepted in the Beloved. If you say to me, well, it's my parents that initiated my relationship with God. I grew up in a Christian family, you're you're saying to me, and so I don't know that it's right to say that there is this attribute of God, that He is the initiator, because I grew up in a Christian family, and really it's my parents that told me about my... Oh, forget all that junk. Where do you think you got the Christian family from? Why didn't you run away when you were 12 and go live with the circus? Because God had mercy upon you and initiated a relationship with you. Even though your parents may have played a role in it, I'll ask you how you got your parents. Someone will say, well, it's the pastor that initiated my relationship to God. And I'll ask you how you got your pastor. How did you get the office of pastor, how did you get the person in the office, if they had any role in you, establishing a relationship with God from your stand, from your vantage point, right. from your side? It's all of God Amen. that these things happen. He uses means to propel us along the way, but He initiated the relationship. For those of you that haven't loved anyone yet, or you haven't been married yet, I hope all the married people know what I'm talking about when I say, when you initiate something and you just get a response, you know, it means one thing. But when they initiate something toward you on their own, 
Is it a little bigger? You know, is it real big? Because it evidences something flowing out of their own heart rather than obligation. Rather than just kindness, it's love. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Oh Lord, bless us. He has initiated the relationship with us. Israel didn't set their affection on God. God set His affection on them in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It wasn't because they were the greatest of all nations. They were the smallest of all nations. Abraham and his fathers had worshipped other gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. But God chose them for Himself. Look at this verse. Isaiah 65 and verse 1. Now follow it carefully because it's hard to understand. It's obscure, but it's really easy once you think about it. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I am found. That means someone found me that wasn't seeking for me. So the Lord must have stuck Himself right in front of them, changed their heart, opened their eyes, opened their ears, though they weren't looking for Him, they found Him whom they weren't looking for. Isaiah 65.1. Now do you know who it's talking about? It's not talking about Israel. It's talking about you. So come over to Romans chapter 10 and verse 20 so that I can show that it's talking about you. This is the conversion of the Gentiles, brethren. Because in Romans chapter 9 and verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. And now Romans 10.20, Paul quotes from Isaiah 65, But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. The Gentiles were not out on a national or cultural pursuit of Jehovah. Oh, brethren, we hadn't lifted our eyes nearly so high. We were quite content with Stonehenge, with totem poles, and worshiping the sun. We weren't pursuing Jehovah, so He came after us. And He put Himself right smack dab in front of us. He put Himself inside us, so that we cried out, Abba, Father, I was found of them that sought Me not. Now do you want to talk about love? Now do you want to have a problem not loving this God I'm telling you about? Please. What a God! He is an initiator! I would... I just love those words. They're obscure. They're strange. But they're beautiful. I was found of them that sought me not. How did we find God? He forced Himself into our lives. Did we have a testimony to that effect already this morning? This brother didn't know where I was going with Isaiah 65, 1 or Romans 10, 20, but the Holy Spirit knows where we both need to go. And where all of us need to go. Let me say it again. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. I'd, 
I revealed myself. I was displayed. They found me. They discovered me. They know all about me, even though they had not asked after me. The conversion of the Gentiles. The effect is that we should love him. The Apostle Paul would say we, we thus judge in 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. If what I just explained to you is true, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. For the love of Christ constraineth me, Paul would say. Saul would say. Saul wasn't seeking Jesus. Saul would tell King Agrippa, King Agrippa, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. So who initiated the relationship? And where was it initiated? And how many times is that initiation told to you in the book of Acts? My quizzers, our quizzers, give me a chapter. Nine, give me another chapter. Twenty-two, thank you. Another chapter. 26, three times we are told about God initiating the relationship or the Lord Jesus Christ initiating the relationship with Saul of Tarsus. And do you know what he said? Saul! Saul! It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Not the sword slashes. Not the hewing. The pricks. Who initiated the relationship? And it didn't start on the road to Damascus. It ended on the road to Damascus. It had started before with the Lord Jesus Christ poking Saul of Tarsus. When he sat there and kept the coats of those that stoned Stephen to death, Stephen's face was shining like an angel's. We don't know what he was thinking. All we know is he was getting poked, pricked. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Do you know what it means when you're convicted? When you've gone astray and you're convicted to come back? When you're convicted to have guilt? When you're convicted to be ashamed? Remember Jeremiah 31, 18 through 20? About the bullock unaccustomed to the yoke and being turned? I smote my thigh and I was ashamed. Who did all that? Because God turns us to Himself because He is the one initiating the relationship. I want you to know about the God that we believe in this church, the God of the Bible, and the God that you should love. He came after you, He comes after you, and He will come after you. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. That title is applied to God Himself in the Old Testament, and it's applied to the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He is initiating... Where were you and what were you were do, what were you doing in the eternal phase when he chose us in him before the world began? What did you contribute? Nothing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, where were you? Didn't exist. How much were you helping him regenerate you when the Holy Spirit blew upon you like the wind blows? Not a thing. He initiated the relationship in the eternal phase, legal phase, and vital phase. You were doing everything you could contrary to Him. Look at Romans chapter 5. As I leave this point and go to another one. Initiating. 
Oh, I like that. When I initiate something toward a person, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I think we're all alike. I think the Bible means what it says when it says, as face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. That when we initiate something toward a person, you know, the response we get is a measured. We measure it carefully and because they didn't come up with it themselves. You know, if they came up with it themselves, then it would be more meaningful and more sincere. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, he is one mean old man. But I just, you know, my whole point is just to explain to you how much this point means to me about God. He initiated the whole thing. He continues to initiate it. And I want to tell you, when you're convicted, you know, he's initiating it again. He's renewing it. Romans 5, look at what it says. These are verses you are so familiar with. Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. What attribute of God is Paul reminding us of right here? That he is the initiator. You were without strength. But God sent Jesus Christ to die for you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. You weren't righteous. You weren't initiating the relationship. Yet peradventure for a good man, you weren't a good man either. Some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that, this is what commends the love of God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus initiated the relationship to us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. If He initiated the relationship, you can count on the fact that He is going to maintain the relationship. He's not going to let us fall away from Him. Not a single one will be lost because He initiated it. He came after us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. One of God's attributes, and I'm sorry that it's not in very many systematic theologies, this is our systematic theology right here. And it's in there from beginning to end. Abraham and his father served other gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. It's called the flood in the Bible. And it doesn't mean Noah's flood. It means a huge river that was difficult to ford. But God chose Abraham. And he chose you and he chose me. The other attribute that I want to share with you this afternoon is that God is pursuing Not only does He initiate the relationship with us, but He continues to pursue us. The Lord Jehovah pursues us in His relationship by going after us in His love for us. Due to selfishness, now be honest everyone, due to selfishness, your selfishness, waywardness, and weakness, we appreciate being chased. You know, there are some... And I know this needs a little bit of qualification, but sometimes I don't have the opportunity or time for qualification. The advice is given, play hard to get. I don't know who dreamed that up. Did Ruth play hard to get? Hard to say no. Play hard to get. But anyway, do you know why that you play hard to get? Because you want to see if someone's going to chase you. 
How many times when you're feeling estranged in your relationship with your spouse or with anyone that uh, you withdraw a little bit and the hope of your heart is that they're going to come chasing you down? You know, you know how selfish that is. It's so selfish it's hard to verbalize it. But the real problem is that all of you have to admit it. That's a real problem. That we withdraw a little bit because we want to see if someone's going to come and chase us. If they're going to pursue us a little bit. Do they care that I didn't say goodbye to them this morning when they went off to work? Do they care? If they care, they're going to call me today at work and tell me they miss me and tell me they love me. And so we... Oh... We're selfish, we're wayward, and we're weak, and we love being chased. But you know what I'm here to... Do you know why I said all that? To tell you this. The Lord Jehovah chases us. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. After all He's done for us, for us to be selfish, proud, or impatient, or anything, He shouldn't ever chase us. But He chases us. Due to selfishness, You said you already used that once. I know, because we're always selfish. Due to selfishness, pride, and impatience, we will not chase very much. If you think you're playing hard to get, you're too hard for me to get, and I don't really care. So bye-bye. You know, if any of you have been told that playing hard to get is really wise, come and talk to me, and we'll figure out a better way. One from the Bible playing hard to get but due to selfishness and pride and impatience we will not chase very much so we love to be chased foolishly and Jehovah chases us we won't chase because it's not really in our nature to chase very long we give up and quit but Jehovah chases us and you've made it difficult for him but he still does it he arrests us He pursues us. Jesus Christ, according to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, doing the will of God, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He pursues us. If you read Hosea 11 last night, and you should read it with me right now, just a few verses in it. Hosea, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. And chapter 11. Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child... Then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. There's God, part of the initiation of his relationship with the church of the Old Testament. Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. That was the infant beginnings of the church of God of the Old Testament when they were down there in Egypt. As they called them, that's Moses, Aaron, and the other prophets, As they called them, so they went from them. As God sent prophets and leaders to call His people, they rebelled against them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images instead of following the leadership that God gave them. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. But they knew not that I healed them. Can you envision a nurse or a father or a mother with an 11-month-old child that has not walked yet, but should learn how to walk. And the parents, the, the father or the mother or the nurse, with hands under its arms, leading it along, or fingers out in front of it that the child can grab a hold of and learn how to walk 
as it walks around holding the fingers. Right now it's making me think of my wife. Her father rolled up a newspaper so that it made a tube of a newspaper. And he would hold that out for her and she would walk around holding on to that newspaper. And then he'd just let go and my brilliant wife would walk around the house holding on to her newspaper. And I mean that in loving kindness and all of you know that. And She's embarrassed probably a little bit, but that's a true story. But, but that's what I want you to think of when you read that third verse. I taught Ephraim also to go. I taught them how to walk. They were children. It was the infantile state of the church taking them by their arms. Have we done that with our children? Help them to walk, but they knew not that I healed them. Is that an initiating and pursuing relationship? He was helping them gently while they were rebelling. I don't want to walk. When you let go of those little children, pop! They sit right down. They don't want to make the effort of trying to walk. And so it was with the church. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. I approached them like a man with a maid. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. I made their life easy. The yoke is that wooden apparatus that goes over the shoulders of an ox, whereby you get work out of him. I took the yoke off. I made it easy. I did it for them. I provided the manna. They didn't have to go out and plow their fields. I gave them cities built and houses furnished. I laid meat unto them. It's like a man who's used his ox all day. He brings them home. He takes off the yoke. It's like riding a horse. You take the bit and the bridle off them. You take the saddle off them. You brush them down. You give them water and you give them something to eat. See, in an agricultural society or carry or someone that knows animals, you can appreciate the fourth verse. But this is how God dealt with them. My whole point being, one of the attributes of God that I don't want us to forget is that He pursues us. And look at how He pursues us. I helped them along even though they didn't know it. Even though they didn't want it. I helped them along. You read about Jer- you read in Jeremiah chapter 3. Last night, I hope, in Jeremiah chapter 3, you have two women described. They're Israel and Judah, and they were unfaithful, pursuing. You know, you wonder, if I don't say anything to them for a day, will they pursue me? If I don't call them, will they pursue me? If I don't write them, will they pursue me? Or am I the one... Am I the one keeping the relationship up? And if I quit, they'll quit because they don't really love me. You never have to wonder about that with the Lord God of heaven. He's done all the pursuing. Any pursuing you've done of him is because he put it in your heart to do it toward him. And he helped you along, though you may not have known it. Jeremiah 3, they say, if a man put away his wife... And she go from him and become another man's. Shall he return unto her again? No. That isn't allowed. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. No. That isn't allowed. It's an abomination. Shall not that land be greatly polluted? Yes. It would be if that was allowed. But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. That is our pursuing God. And the whole chapter runs the same way. 
Ezekiel 16 is the same way. Where after that long chapter of taking that baby that wasn't salted nor swaddled, that was lying in the field and was going to be, was going to die, raising it up, marrying it, it was the time of love. And I cast my skirt, my garment over her. The Lord is speaking of the church and the Old Testament. Yet she went off and played the whore. And he describes it in graphic terms. But before you get to the end of Ezekiel 16, you get the same thing that you get right here, that he still remembered his covenant of love in their earlier days. That's because God continues to pursue his people. He is a pursuing God. See, I'm not talking about us just coming in here like Presbyterians or other branches of the Reformed churches and singing praise to the Lord the Almighty. That just you, you have just listed His omnipotence. You've got one out of a hundred attributes. How about, can we move a little bit past that? And you know that song that we sing, I'm not making fun of it at all because it's in my top five. Because that song goes on a whole lot further than that and it talks about feathers overshadowing us and blessing us. I don't want us to have a church where we just formerly and soberly worship this concept of the great divine being. You ought to hear them preach. It's nauseating to hear them talk about the great divine being. He is our friend. He is our father. He is our Abba Father. He helps us walk like little babies. He initiates and He pursues. He forgives and He's merciful. He's vulnerable and He's divisible. He's the prayer teaching God. He chose to be our shepherd. What a name He picked for Himself. A shepherd. Who pursues the sheep or the shepherd? The sheep may follow, but then they don't follow. They run away. They want to try something. A little chipmunk gets their attention and they run off into the bushes where the big bad wolf can get them. And someone has to go get them and protect them from the big bad wolf. And so God calls himself a shepherd. And the Lord Jesus Christ is called the good shepherd. And the Lord Jesus Christ is called the great shepherd of the sheep. When you are convicted, when you are convicted, I am not as close to the Lord as I should be. This is how it should be tumbling in your head and your heart. I'm not as close to the Lord as I should be. I'm not reading my Bible like I should be. You know, I've allowed this sin in my life and I shouldn't have allowed this sin in my life. I want to I be close to the Lord. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like David. What the pastor was preaching about today is not real to me. When those thoughts are tumbling around in your heart and your mind, you need to ask what it is. What is it? Where are those thoughts coming from? Who sent them? I'll tell you something about you. There's nothing good in you to generate them. Except the new man that God created and the Holy Spirit of God that dwells with that new man. But when you hear, feel, sense any of those things, that is God pursuing you. And you should respond to that pursuit and run to him. You should humble yourself and repent of whatever folly, wickedness, sin is in your life and run to Him and beg for mercy. He is pursuing you to draw you back to Himself. Let no man presume upon it. 
Because he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. I just mention it for your warning. That isn't my sermon. My sermon is the Lord Jehovah initiates and pursues what a God we have. And he has initiated before the world began by choosing us in Christ Jesus. And he pursued us in time by sending the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And he has brought us to this point. And if it wasn't for his grace and mercy, as has been stated from this pulpit by others today, we wouldn't have this church. We wouldn't appreciate that table. He's done it all. He's pursued us. Let's respond to him in the way that he's called for. He He hasn't asked us to respond by speaking in tongues. He hasn't asked for us to respond by feelings. He wants it to start by faith. And then we should recognize that there should be bowels toward him. We should be moved to love him dearly. This is, this is your God. This is my God. He's a prayer hearing God, prayer answering, prayer teaching, initiating, and pursuing. May the Lord bless you to walk with him, to delight in him, and to love him all the days of your life. Amen. Amen.